Do you care about supporting small business? I do. Do you care about supporting women in business? Man, I really do. Do you care about excellent customer service? I think it's a dying art and I really, really support it. That's why I support Paco Collars. They hit all of these bases and then some. My dogs wear gorgeous handcrafted leather collars from them and I get to support a company that I really believe in. So if you believe in the same stuff I do, get over to PacoCollars.com, order the best dog collar you've ever had with a lifetime guarantee, and don't forget to enter the promo code COGDOG for free shipping. Hey there, dog people of the internet. It's me, Sarah Strumming of The Cognitive Canine, and this is Cog Dog Radio, a podcast about all things dog sports and dog training. Join me as I explore my cases and considerations regarding the behavior of the dogs we live and play with. I hope you enjoy it. I get this question all the time and I get it more often now that I've kind of publicly stated an opinion on this in my fix it class. So what am I talking about? I like to, when I'm working with a dog that is barky lungy or what some people call reactive, um, not in love with that label because I like to just describe what's happening. So dogs that bark and lunge at other dogs when they're on leash is what I'm talking about. And when I am working through that behavior problem with a dog, my preference is that if I screw up and a reaction does occur, which that's that's a screw up. We want to be trying to make sure they're not occurring in training. Um, but, it, but it happens, right? Because life is life. So if I screw up and the dog has a reaction during training, I like to let it play out. So I don't like to interrupt it. And my colleagues in the positive reinforcement training world are probably seething right now because um, we like to throw a cookie scatter or just quickly remove the dog from the situation or whatever. And that's kind of what I used to do um, was to just, just try to diffuse the situation. But hear me out. There are certainly times when I would do that. But it makes the most behavioral sense to me to allow the reaction to occur if all of the circumstances in which I'm training are likely to stay the same. So let me give you a scenario. I like to work reactive dogs and that's dog directed reactivity or aggression. So the barky, lungy, snappy, snarly, on leash towards other dogs stuff outside of fully fenced dog parks with enough space that I can get far enough away from the dog park that the dog can be chill, the dog I'm working with. Um, I like to do that because the dogs in the dog park are usually occupied playing with each other, so they don't care as much about the guy outside the park on leash. And nobody can get hurt because the dog I'm working with is separated from the other dogs by a fence, okay? So that's how I like to do it. Uh, Much better than using a neutral dog or a stuffed dog. Um, Those are kind of other options. I'm not in love with the emotional toll that this can play on your neutral dog. That's really nice. And that's what I used to utilize mostly when I worked um, with 
when I was first kind of starting out as a pet dog trainer, I had some, none of my dogs, but I had some great neutral dogs that I would utilize. Um, and I just prefer the dog park these days. So if you are in that scenario and your dog starts to bark lunge at the dogs in the dog park, I like for you to just wait for your clickable moment. I like for you to just wait for the dog to stop and breathe and may and hopefully look to you, at which point you can mark and reinforce. Rather than allowing the reaction to fall into the same reinforcement pattern that it has always followed in, which is usually distance from the other dogs. So this makes the most behavioral sense to me to not continue to reinforce the reaction by giving it distance, which is what the dog is asking for. With with aggressive behaviors, the dog is distance seeking. Um, and that is true, I'm going to argue, for even the dogs that are friendly um, and want to see the other dogs. When you're working with other dogs, you... I don't like to do distance decreasing um, as a as a reinforcer, and there's a lot of reasons for that. But one of them being that we can typically classify aggressive behavior, which is what reactive behavior is, you guys. Um, it is offensive behavior, or it's defensive. It just kind of depends on what it looks like. Usually the dogs that are friendly like other dogs, but they're just beside themselves that they can't get closer to the other dogs or displaying what I would call offensive behavior. Um, and then because they're not afraid, they're not protecting themselves, but they are repelling the other dogs away with their behavior. And usually that's what they get is distance. So we have to qualify that as the function. We have to say the distance is the function. I don't want to fall into that pattern. I don't want distance to be um, my functional reinforcer anymore. I did used to use that as well. And I also, and so I don't want the dog to get distance for reacting. And I also kind of don't want the dog to get distance for not reacting anymore. I want to switch our reinforcement over to something else that the human can control, which is typically food. And if we want to give distance in addition to food, I don't care. So in what scenarios am I going to allow reactions to play out? Because people start to freak out when I say this. And they're like, but, 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 what if we're scaring the other dog? What if the other dog's coming close and we're going to get hurt? What if, what if, what if, what if? Um, and so I want to clarify a few things. Number one, safety is important for everyone. Uh, safety or perceived safety as well is um, always a, that's a need. That's a basic need that everyone is owed. So, I want to make sure everybody is safe, meaning I've got the dog on leash, there's a fence up, whatever, we're going to talk about barriers in a second, but also the other dog, um, and this is why neutral dogs, you know, kind of a dog hanging out on attached to a person or tied to a tie out with a manager minder near it, I mean, those are all things that we use sometimes. If we're using a neutral dog like that and the dog that we're working starts to react and act aggressively towards that dog, that dog's perceived safety might be at risk even if his real safety is not. And that's not fair. So basically what that means is that I want to work to make sure that I'm not inducing fear in anyone ever. Um, so if the dog starts to have a reaction, I want to let it play out, but I only will if everybody is definitely as safe as I can make them, right? So like, we're all at risk of being, you know, 
I don't know, hit by an asteroid or something. (laughs) But so safety is always kind of an illusion. But if the things that I have control over are in a safe setup, then I allow the reaction to play out. And let me just tell you what that looks like because I realize I didn't. That means you stand where you are like an anchor with your leash attached to you like an anchor and you wait and you are quiet and you do not do anything. And the dog is probably vertical and screaming and whatever, which is why, again, it's important for your equipment to make sure the dog cannot pull you over. But we're going to talk about that in a minute. Um, And you're waiting because the dog will stop eventually. And when they do you can go back to reinforcing. Um, And then depending on what's going on, you may end your session there, but we'll talk about that later as well. So safety is number one. If everybody's safe, then I go about my, my preferred plan, which is high rates of reinforcement and ignoring those errors. That's always my plan for training, and it doesn't change if um, we're dealing with aggressive or reactive behaviors. So control of the outcome is really important too. So that has to do with control of safety, but control of the outcome means that I need for there to be appropriate barriers in place. Again, I love that dog park scenario because there's a fence in place. That means if that dog rips a leash out of my hand for some reason, um, there's still a fence there. So I've got, I like two sets of barriers anytime I'm working an aggressive um, type of client dog. Two sets of barriers could mean a leash and a muzzle on the dog that I'm working. Or it could mean a leash and a fence. But I want two at all times. That way, if one fails, I have a backup. I've had too many situations in which one backup, I'm sorry, one barrier failed. Meaning, again, leash gets popped out of your hand. Leash breaks. You guys, sometimes that happens. Um... Or maybe the dog gets to the fence, but it's chain link. And so a, a, a conflict could actually play out between two dogs um, between a chain link fence. It's definitely happened before. So I want two barriers at all times. Um, you know, I'm in love with basket muzzles. I think basket, I think pretty much, I think every single dog should be trained to wear a basket muzzle just, just in case you ever need it, because sometimes you do. And I love working these dogs in basket muzzles because then that's just, that's kind of your bottom line barrier. The dog cannot hurt anyone where, I mean, arguably they can hurt somebody, but they cannot put holes in anybody or rip anybody open. Uh, (laughs) So, and then proximity also has to do with control of my outcome. The further I get in my training program, my training protocol, the closer I might get to the dog's trigger. So the smaller the, you know, this is basically a math problem, you guys, the smaller the proximity, the closer the proximity, the more barriers I want in play. So I might have a long line and a back click harness on a dog that is, you know, a half a football field away from the dog park fence at first. So now I've got my dog park fence and then a barrier that allows a lot of free movement, like the long line and the back clip harness. And that's where I like to begin. Um, but the closer I get to my other barrier, my fence, the stronger I want barrier number one, or, or I might want to add barrier number three. So the closer the proximity, the more barriers I want. And this allows me to totally control outcomes. And this again allows me to fully ignore those errors. So to just stand there and let the reaction play out um, and th- so that I can then go back to work.
Um, now, let's consider our best order of operations too, because again, like I've mentioned a million times, but people still fail to hear me. I don't actually want that to happen. I don't actually want a reaction to occur in my training session at all. But I just need to account for the fact that we are all human and we make mistakes and we can't always predict everything, right? Especially if you're working outside the dog park, you can't predict if the, you know, black Russian terrier, (laughs) I was trying not to pick out any breeds that are actually likely to be in a dog park, um, runs up to the fence and barks at your dog, inciting a reaction that wouldn't have happened before. You can't predict that. So things are going to happen and you have to have a plan for how you're going to allow that reaction to play out or if you're going to allow it to play out. So mistakes could occur. You got to have a plan for them. My The best order of operations, though, is that you start far so that far enough from the trigger that the dog can be 110% successful. Like, I want them so far from their trigger that they, that you're like, it's basically irrelevant. They don't even know it's there. Trust me, they know it's there. They just don't think they need to protect themselves if they're far enough away. And then you slowly get closer and closer and closer with those successful repetitions. And I don't want you to stay on any one approximation for too long. You're just watching the dog. So if the dog starts to take treats harder or the dog starts to look at the dogs a little bit longer before he looks back to you, that's where you know you've kind of hit your threshold for the day and you're not going to keep going any closer on that session. You don't want to start close and then have to back off. Because if you start close and the dog is freaking out and they're taking treats hard and they're being terrible, um, and then you back off, you did actually reinforce all that reactive junk that you don't want to be reinforcing. So I like to start far and work up close, just like you start easy and you work up to hard on anything else that you're training. Uh, We mystify aggression. And we shouldn't. We mystify these behaviors because they feel really scary to us and really uncomfortable to us. And then we get into these traps where we know how to change behavior. We do it all the time. But we feel like we can't in this scenario because it's, it's too hard. It's different. It's aggression. It's not different. Start easy. Work up to tough. Okay. Allow errors to occur. Observe them. Make note of them. But do not freak out. Um, Do not suddenly throw a bunch of food and remove your dog from the situation if you don't have to. That's an emergency situation. That's where you don't have control over the things that I just talked about, your safety and your control of the outcome. If you don't have control of those things, then yeah, you got to just get out of dodge when something is happening and that's okay, but that's not dog training. That's not dog training. That's just management. That's just, like I said, getting out of dodge. That's just damage control. So don't forget that your best order of operations is far to close or easy to hard. However, don't start a football field away at every single session. If you ended at half a football field away, I would start just slightly farther than that on your next session. And that's where good data comes in, right? You should be videoing um, or you should be having somebody keep track of some data for you. So... Think of it as behavior. That's why I let the reaction play out. Think of it as any other behavior. Um, 
it's like skipping a weave pole, you guys. Like if we're trading weave poles, we start with two. I mean, I do anyway, start with two and then I add another two and then I add another two. Um, and before long, I've got 12, right? But I don't start with six, have my dog fail a bunch of times and go, oh, I guess I should have started with two and go back to two, right? That's not good dog training. Good dog training is you start with two and you build up to six and you keep track of what the dog is capable of doing and what they're not. And you always start where you know they're going to be successful, but it's not way at the beginning on each session. Like if I worked up to six poles in one session, I'm not going to start with two on the next session. Okay, I'm going to start with six and I'm probably going to start with an easy entry so I know the dog can be right and then I'm going to build up. And if the dog skips a pole, you guys, I don't panic and throw food and remove him from the weave poles, right? I just go, I just reset him. I reinforce the reset personally. Um, and I don't reset by, let's see, by doing this big interruption like you guys want to do on the reactivity. I might just let it happen. I go neutral or I might ask the dog to come to me, which if your dog has, if your dog is capable of listening to his name being called what mid-reaction, then you should call his name, but he probably isn't. So that's kind of a difference there in the weave poles. If my dog enters the weave poles wrong, I actually just call his name, reinforce him for coming, send him again. And I don't make a big deal out of it. Um, and that's kind of the same for all of my complex behaviors that I train. If there's a mistake, I reset, I get the dog to reinforcement, I try again. If there's two mistakes, then I obviously am asking for something the dog doesn't know how to do. Um, and I need to rethink and that's when I will end the session. And that's the same for your reactivity or your aggression um, training. If there are two mistakes, it's probably time to throw in the towel for today. But I would get the dog to reinforcement first, personally. I would wait for the reaction to play out, get the dog to reinforcement and say, I'm sorry, I pushed you too hard, sweetie. Let's go end it for today. Um, so I get a lot of questions about this because I had a great, wonderful student in Fix It who was working through some dog reactivity this last term. Um, and I told her to allow the dog to do his kangaroo hop and his scream and his whatever if he needed to. And it upset her and it stressed her out like it should. It's contrary to everything she's ever heard. But man, she made some good progress. And you guys, she it's like it was... The polar vortex in Chicago where she lives um so she didn't really she didn't even get to get that many training sessions in during the course but the dog made huge progress just in those small sessions um but it was hard for her to kind of shake the advice that she's been given to just quickly remove the dog from the situation if everybody is safe just let them and now the next concern everybody has is what about the emotional toll that plays on the dog itself? Because we, you know, we firmly believe that, uh, and I don't think we're wrong in believing that these reactions are not fun for them. Um, I think there's like a small percentage of dogs that kind of likes acting like that. Um, I'm thinking here of the Malinois bred for bite sports that, yeah, like barking and lunging is his bag. He is into it. Um, that dog in particular needs to be trained that there's a context, there's a time and a place for that behavior. And it certainly is not when we are walking down the street, if they are to be your pet dog. Um, but most of the dogs that have these behaviors are either worried about other dogs or they're, they're worried about when they get to see other dogs. So they're, they're certainly having some big feelings about other dogs. And 
that's where I would say, sure, that's why you don't want to be having a lot of reactions in your training session. Because yeah, they are yucky. They're yucky for both of you. The, per- the one that I can actually talk to is the human and the human always says, yeah, I hate this, <laughs> right? We hate it when they have a reaction like that. They're yucky for both of you. Um, so that's where you want to orchestrate your training sessions as best as you can. But when those reactions happen, let them play out. Do not put any more drama on them that the dog is already putting onto himself. He's freaking out. If you also freak out, you're going to cause more problems. So you just hang out. When they are ready to take a deep breath, you pay them. And then you either quit for the day or you keep going. It depends on, um, it just depends on what your plan was and it depends on your dog and how things are going. A lot of people are going to want to quit for the day after that because they're going to go, man, I screwed up and they're going to want to go drink. Um, (laughs) I support that as well if that's what you want to go do. Um, But anyway, little food for thought. This will obviously be over on the Cog Dog Radio Facebook page and I expect a long discussion. So get over there and talk about it. Thanks for listening to Cog Dog Radio. If you have questions or suggestions, shoot them over to cogdogradio at gmail.com. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to like the Cog Dog Radio Facebook page. And until next time, happy training.